Chapter Two of Andrew the Glad by Maria Thompson Davies. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, The Ritual. Well, it's a sensation, all right, Major," said David as he stood in front of the Major's fire early in the morning after the ceremonies of the presentation of sketches of the statue out at the Temple of Arts. Mrs. Matilda told me the news and helped me sandwich it into my speech between that time and the open-up talk. People had asked so often who was giving the statue, laid it on so many different people, and wondered over it to such an extent all fall that they had got tired and forgot that they didn't know all about it. When I presented in the name of Carolyn Dara Brown, in the memory of her mother and her grandfather, General Dara, you could have heard a pin drop for a few seconds. Then the applause was almost a sob. It was as dramatic a thing as has been handed this town in many a day. Still, it was a bit skyrockety, don't you think? Keeping it like that, and— David, interrupted the Major quickly. She never intended to tell it. She had done the business part of it through her solicitors. She never wanted us to know. I persuaded her to let it be presented in her name myself, just before Matilda went out with you. She shrinks. Wait a minute. Major, don't get the two sides of my brain crossed. You persuaded her. She isn't in town, is she? Don't tell me she's here herself. And David ruffled his auburn forelock with a gesture of perplexity. Yes, answered the Major. Carolyn Dara Brown is here and is, I hope, going to stay for a time at least. I wanted to tell you about it yesterday, but I hadn't seen her, and I— And David, dear, interrupted Mrs. Buchanan, who had been standing by with shining eyes, waiting for an opening to break in on Kildare's astonishment with some of the details of her happiness over her discovery. I didn't tell you last night, for the Major didn't want me to, but she is so lovely. She's your inherited friend, for your mother and hers were devoted to each other. I do want you to love her, and everybody helped me to make her feel at home. Don't mind about her father being a, you know, a, a carpetbagger. Three of her dark grandfathers have been governors of this state. Just think about them and don't talk about her father or any carpet. You know. Please be good to her. Be good to her, exclaimed David heartily. Just watch me. I am loving her already for making you so happy by this down-from-the-sky drop, Mrs. Matilda. And we'll all be careful about the carpet-bags. Won't even mention a rug. Lots of talk can be got out of the dead governors, I'm thinking. My welcome's getting more enthusiastic every moment. When can I hand it to her? She's resting now, and I think she ought to be quiet for today, because she has been under a strain answered Mrs. Buchanan as she glanced tenderly at a closed door across the hall. Oh, I'm so glad you think you are going to love her in spite of, of... The brown graft? On the Dara family tree? Finished David quizzically. His eyes danced with delighted amusement across her puffs at the major as he added. Must have been silversmiths dangling on most of his ancestral branches, judging from his propensity for making dollars. A million or two, stocks, bonds, any kind of flim-flam, eh, Major? Yes, answered the Major, as he blew a ring of smoke into the air. Yes, just about that. 
and any kind of flim-flam and i cannot conceive of peters brown rejoicing at having thirty thousand of those dollars put into an emporium to the women who sniffed at him and his carpet-bags for a good twenty years after the war but the child doesn't take any of that in those were twenty rich years he put in in reconstructing us but when he took those same heavy carpet-bags north he took mary carolyn dara the prettiest woman in the county with him this girl, as I have said before, isn't love a strange thing? And you say the populace was astonished. Almost to the point of paralyzation, answered David, as he filled a stray pipe with some of the Major's most choice heartleaf tobacco. But we managed to open up the picture show all right. The entire hive of busy art bees were there in a queer kind of clothes, but proud of it. They acted as if we were dirt under their feet. They smiled on the whole glad crowd of us with pity and let us rave over the wrong pictures. The portrait of Mrs. Peyton Kendrick by the great Susie Carey Snow is, er, uh, well, a little more of it shows than seems natural about the left-off arm, but it's a Susie Carey, all right. You ought to have gone, Major. You would take with the art gang. But we didn't. We were too afraid of them. After we had been shooed in front of most of the pictures and told how to see things in them that weren't there at all, Cobb Capers said, Let's all go down to the university club and get drunk to forget em. That's why Mrs. Matilda came home so late. And I want Hobson to be nice to her, too, continued Mrs. Buchanan, as if she had not been interrupted in planning for her guest. And Tom and Peyton Kendrick, I'll ask them to come and see her right away. Don't! Wait a bit, Mrs. Matilda, exclaimed David. Hobbs saw a mysterious girl in an orchid hat out in the park day before yesterday. He says his heart creaked with expansion at just the glimpse of a chin he got from under her veil. Suppose she's the girl. Let him have first innings. David, remarked the Major, flag the sun, moon, and stars in their courses and signal time to reverse a day or a year. But don't try to turn aside a maker of matches from her machinations. David laughed as the Major's wife shook her head at him in gentle reproof, and he asked interestedly, When may we come to call, madam? I judge the lady is under your roof. Soon, dear. She's very tired today, and I feel sure you will. Miss Matilda, called Tempy from the hall. Miss Phoebe is holding the phone for you. She's at Miss Cantrell's, and she wants to speak with you right away. Wait, wait! Don't answer her right now. Ring her off, Tempe. If she has trouble getting you, Mrs. Matilda, you keep her talking and I can catch her. Let me get a good start and then answer. Goodbye! Keep talking to her! And with determination in his eyes, David took his hurried departure. Goodbye, good luck, and good hunting, called the Major after him. And with the greatest skillfulness, Mrs. Buchanan held Phoebe in hand for enough minutes to ensure David's capture before she returned to the library. Major, she said, as she rubbed her cheek against his velvet coat sleeve. Why do you suppose Phoebe doesn't love David? I can't understand it. Matilda, answered the Major, as he blew a little curl over one of the soft puffs of her white hair. You were born in a day when women were all run into a love mold. They are poured into other assorted fancy shapes in these times, but heat from the right source melts them all the same. 
we can trust david's ardor i think yes i believe you are right she answered judicially and phoebe inherits lovingness from her mother i feel that she is more affectionate than she shows and i just go on and love her anyway she lets me do it very often and from the depth of her unsophisticated heart mrs buchanan had evolved a course of action that had gone far in comforting a number of the lonely years through which phoebe donelson had waited she had been young and high-spirited and intensely proud when she had begun to fight her own battles in her sixteenth year many loving hands of her mother's and father's old friends had been held out to her with a bounty of protection but she had gone her course and carved her own fortune her social position had made things easy for her in a way and now her society editorship of the leading journal had become a position from which she yielded much power over the gay world that delighted in her wit and beauty took her autocratic dictums in most cases and followed her vogue almost absolutely her independence prompted her to live alone in a small downtown apartment with her old negro mammy but her affections demanded that she take refuge at all times under the sheltering wings of mrs buchanan who kept a dainty nest always in readiness for her the tumultuous wooing of david kildare had been going on since her early teens under the delighted eyes of the major who in turn both furthered and hindered the suit by his extremely philosophical advice phoebe was the crystallization of an infusion of the blood of many cultured high-bred haughty women which had been melted in the retort of a stern necessity and had come out rather a brilliant specimen of the modern woman if a bit hard viewed in some ways she became an alarming augury of the future but there are always potent counterforces at work in life's laboratory and the kind of forces that david kildare brought to bear in his wooing were never exactly to be calculated upon and so the major spent much time in the contemplation of the problem presented and when she had come in after a late lunch to call upon their guest it had been intensely interesting to the major to regard the effect of the meeting of phoebe's and caroline dara's personalities caroline's lovely shy child's eyes had melted with delight under phoebe's straight gray friendly glances and her fascination for the tall strong radiant woman who sat beside her had been so obvious that the major had chuckled to himself under his breath as he watched them make friends under mrs matilda's poorly concealed anxiety that they should at once adopt cordial relations and so he consented to undertake the commission for you because he was interested phoebe was asking as they talked about the sketches of the statue a very great sculptor was doing the work for caroline dara brown and it interested phoebe to hear how he had consented to accept so unimportant a commission yes answered caroline in her exquisite voice which showed only the faintest liquid trace of her southern inheritance i told him all about it and he became interested he is very great and simple and kind he made it easy to show him how I felt. I couldn't tell him much except how I felt, but I think it has something of that in it. Don't you think so? As she spoke, she laid her white hand on the arm of Phoebe's chair and leaned forward with her dewy, tender eyes looking straight into the gray ones opposite her. For a moment, Phoebe returned the glance with a quiet seriousness 
then her eyes lighted a second were suffused with a quick moisture and with a proud gesture she bent forward laying both hands on caroline's shoulders as she pressed a deep kiss on the girl's red lips i do think so she answered with a low laugh as she arose to her feet drew caroline up into the bend of her arm and faced mrs buchanan and the major i know the loveliness in the statue is what the great man got out of the loveliness in your heart and the major and mrs matilda think so too and i'm going quick because i must and i'm coming back as soon as i can because i'm going to find you here that is partly major and before they could stop her she had gone on down the hall and they heard her answer jeff's farewell as he let her out the door that carolyn dara brown was your first and most important conquest observed the major phoebe has a white rock heart but a crystal cracked therefrom is apt to turn into a jewel of price hers is a blood ruby friendship that pays for the wearing and cherishing but it's time for the nap mrs matilda decides for me to take and i must leave you ladies to your dimity talk with which he betook himself to his room still plainly pleased at the result of phoebe's call on the stranger the two women thus left to their own devices spent a delightful half-hour wandering over the house and discussing its furnishings and arrangements mrs buchanan never tired of the delights of her town home the house was very stately and old-world with its treasures of rare ancestral rosewood and mahogany that she had brought in from the seven oaks plantation the rooms in the country home had been so crowded with treasures of bygone generations that they were scarcely dismantled by the furnishing of the town house she was in her glory of domesticity and as she passed from one room to another she told caroline bits of interesting history about this piece or that in her naivete she let the girl see into the long hard years that had been a hand-to-hand -hand struggle for her and the major on their worn farmlands out in the beautiful harpeth valley the cropping out of phosphate on the bare fields had brought a comfortable fortune in its train to the old soldier farmer and they had moved into this town home to spend the winter in greater accessibility to their friends her own particular little world had welcomed her with delight and caroline could see that she was taking a second bellhood as if it had been an uninterrupted reign most of the financiers of the city were the major's old friends and they managed enormously advantageous contracts with mining companies for him and had taken him into the schemes of the mighty with the most manifest cordiality his study became the scene of much important plot and counterplot they found in his mind the quality which had led them to outwit many an enemy when he scouted ahead of their tattered regiment still available when the enemy appeared under commercial or civic front also it naturally happened that his library gradually became the hunting-grounds for mrs matilda's young people who were irresistibly drawn into the circle of his ever-ready sympathy the whole tale and its telling was absorbingly interesting to caroline dara brown and she listened with enraptured attention to it all she repeated carefully the names of her mother's friends as they came up in the conversation and she was pathetically eager to know all about this world she had come back into from what already seemed to her her birth in a strange land two days in this country of her mother and the enchantment of traditions that had been given to her unborn was already at work with its spell and so they rambled around and talked 
unheeding the time until the early twilight began to fall and mrs buchanan was summoned by jeff to a consultation in the domestic regions with the autocratic tempe left to herself caroline dara wandered back again through the rooms from one object to another that inspired the stories it was like fairyland to her and she was in a long dream of pleasure out of the shadows she seemed to be drawing her wistful young mother and hand in hand they were going over the past together when it was quite deep into the twilight she sauntered back to the crackling comfort of the major's fragrant logs a discussion with jeff over his toilet had delayed the major in his bedroom and she found the library deserted but hospitable with firelight how long she had been musing and castle-building in the coals she scarcely knew when a step on the polished floor made her look up and with a little exclamation she rose to her full slim young height and turned to face a man who had come in with the unannounced surety of a member of the household he was tall broad and dark and his knickerbockers were splashed with mud and covered with clinging burrs and pine needles one arm was lashed to his side with a silk sling and he held a huge bunch of glowing red berries in his free hand they were branches of the red coral-strung buck bushes and caroline had never seen them before their gorgeousness fairly took her breath and she exclaimed with the ingenuous delight of a child how lovely how lovely she cried as she stretched out her hands for them i never saw any before do they grow here yes answered the man with a gleam of amusement in his dark eyes yes they came from seven oaks the fields are full of them now do you want them and as he spoke he laid the bunch in her arms and they smell woodsy and piney and delicious thank you i-they are lovely i she paused in wild confusion looked around the room as if in search of someone and ended by burying her face in the berries i don't know where major buchanan is she murmured helplessly well it doesn't matter he said with a comforting smile as he came up beside her on the rug they'll introduce us when they come i'm andrew severe and the bearers are yours so what matter oh said caroline dara in an awed voice and as she spoke she raised her head from the wood flowers and her eyes to his face oh, are you really andrew sevier yes really he answered with another smile and a slightly puzzled expression in his own dark eyes but i read everything i can find about you and the papers say you are ill in panama i've been so worried about you i saw your play last week in new york and i couldn't enjoy it for wondering how you were i wouldn't read your poem in this month's review because i was afraid you were dead and i didn't know it i'm so relieved with which astonishing remark she drew a deep breath and laid her cheek against the field bouquet i am that is i was smashed up in panama until david came down and brought me home it was awfully good of you to to know that i that i <laughs> andrew severe paused as mirth wonder and gratitude spread in confusion over his sun-tanned face how did it happen was it very dreadful 
and again those distractingly solicitous eyes full of sympathetic anxiety were raised to his andrew shook himself mentally to see if it could possibly be a dream he was having and a little thrill shot through him at the reality of it all nothing interesting end of a bridge collapsed and put a rib or two out of commission he managed to answer i knew it was something dreadful said caroline dara brown as she moved a step nearer him i was really unhappy about it and i wondered if all the other people who read your poems and watch for them and and love them like i do were worried too but i concluded that they would know how to find out about you only i didn't i'm glad you are here safe and that i know it the puzzled expression of andrew severe's face deepened of course he had become more or less accustomed to the interest which his work had caused to be attached to his personality and this was not the first time he had had a stranger read the poet into the man on first sight they had even gone so far as to expect him to talk in blank verse he felt sure especially when his admirer had been a member of the opposite and fair sex but a thing like this had never happened to him before it was at the least disturbing to have a lovely woman rise out of the major's very hearthstone and claim him as a familiar spirit with the exquisite frankness of a child it smacked of the wine of wizardry he glanced at her a moment and was on the point of making a tentative inquiry when the major came into the room well andy boy you're in from the fields i see how's the farm everything shipshape as he spoke the major shot a keen glance from under his beetling old brows at the pair and wisely let the situation develop itself andrew answered his salutation promptly then turned an amused glance on the girl at his side he isn't going to introduce us she laughed with a friendly little look up into his face i ought to have done it myself when you did but i was so astonished and relieved to find you i'm caroline dara brown the words were low and laughing and warm with a sweet friendliness but they crashed through the room like the breath of a swarm of furies andrew severe's face went white and drawn on the instant and every muscle in his body stiffened to a tense rigidity his dark eyes narrowed themselves to slits and glowed like the coals the major's very blood stopped in his veins and his fine old face looked drawn and gray as he stretched out his hand and laid it on caroline's young shoulder not a word came to his lips as he looked in andrew's face and waited and as he waited a wondrous thing and piercing sweet unfolded itself under his keen old eyes and sank like a balm into his wise old heart from the two deep purple pools of womanhood that were raised to his shy with homage of him and unconscious of their own tender reverencing andrew severe drew a deep draught into his very soul slowly the color mounted into his face his eyes opened themselves and a wonderful smile curled his lips he held out his hand and took her slender fingers into a strong clasp and held them for a long moment then with a smile at the major which was a mixture of dignity tinged with an infinite sadness he bent over and gently kissed the white hand as he let it go the little ceremony had more chivalry than she understood it's part of our ritual of welcome i'm claiming 
he said lightly as she blushed rose pink and the divine shyness deepened in her eyes she again buried her face in the berries then with a proud look into andrew's face the mayor laid his hand on the young man's bandaged arm and bent and raised caroline's hand to his lips it's a ritual my dear he said that i'm honored in observing with him friendship these days has need of rituals of ratification and the pompous ceremonials to give it color there's danger of it becoming prosaic uh, jefferson turn on the lights End of chapter 2